uh, Domain Day from uh, CheapWineFighter.com today, but a little bit different than usual. Uh, we're going to talk uh, to me, and we're talking to... Bruce Tanner. From Kono? From Kono in New Zealand, yeah. So we're actually talking to people who know what they're talking about, not just me talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah but, it's well, reserve, I do know. Reserve <laughs> judgment on that one. Yeah. yeah. So um, he's, his company makes Kono, Sauvignon Blanc from Marlboro, and then they have the... Uh, to you? To who? To you? Uh, Tohu. From, uh, we say to this is more this is more uh your vineyards or uh it's a bit of a mix really i guess the kono sauvignon is like the uh larger volume more like your classic marlborough sauvignon so it sort of picks up fruit from lots of different little sub-regions if you like from around marlborough so they all kind of provide different sort of flavor profiles and things like that but oh. the tohu brand which is our sort of um i guess the more premium offering if you like is focused around this one Sub, uh, sub-appellation really called the Awateri Valley. Yeah, so all of our fruit for the Tohu brand comes out of that valley. And then the corner is a more classic Marlborough Sauvignon, if you like. That's actually kind of interesting because it seems like uh, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc is kind of getting to the point where it's getting into the sub-reason why it's just not Marlborough because yeah, there is right. yeah. differences. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think most people, especially in the value price, just like Marlborough yeah, Sauvignon yeah, Blanc, yeah, yeah. but they should be able to figure out what is their favorite or what they want to go for, or at least maybe try different ones to see what it is all about, because it's not all one thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, all the little sub-regions, they all provide sort of different characteristics. I'd say the, the Awateri, and a lot of the kernel fruit is coming out of the Awateri. It's where our winery is based, so sort of probably 70% of the fruit that feeds into that is um, coming from the Awateri. So that's a more sort of um, more like gooseberry and more grapefruit and a bit more minerality, less of the really big sort of fruit salad, um, tropical fruit characters. So it's a little bit cooler, cooler nights, get a little bit more acidity out there and stuff like that. So, yeah. What, what side of the island is it on? Uh, so east coast of the South Island. So, you know, in New Zealand we have like the very, you know, amazingly inventively named North Island and South Island. So there's yeah, the one so up the north so and there's the one down the south. Wrong, right, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty easy, yeah. Um, so we're sort of top, uh, I guess, northeast of the South Island. So it's sort of, you know, we're sheltered by the, the Southern Alps from the all the way. North weather. Island's wines are much, much different. Yeah, they are, yeah. yeah. You know, it's almost not shockingly so, but if you're used to one, the other one is completely different. Yeah, that's Though right. it's still good. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of horses for courses, really. And the North Island, it's a lot warmer, so they can do... You know, the varietals that we can't do down south, like the bigger reds and things like that. This might be a little bit slightly off the topic we're doing at the moment, but when when Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand first hit, oh, maybe like 20 years ago? Sure. But the Pinot Noir was also as as, as, as big a buzz as the Sauvignon yeah, yeah. Blanc did, and yeah. it's kind of faded because it was maybe like a quality for price quotient was off the tubes for that one, too. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree is with it, that. Is it just a matter that Sauvignon Blanc took off where they planted more Sauvignon Blanc and less Pinot Noir? Um, yeah, if, if anything in Melbourne now, you're seeing um, Pinot Noir vines that were planted 20, 25 years ago getting pulled out and replanted with Sauvignon. I mean, Sauvignon's just been so it's the economic s- part of such it. a juggernaut, you know, it's been so oh, successful. No, yeah. And for the, for the growers as well, like on a commercial basis, the growers can, if you're growing grapes and you're selling grapes to a winery like myself, then... Oh, you got to make a living and plus people are happy with it. So it's not, oh, yeah. but you did have good Pinot Noir. And Sauvignon is easy to grow as well, you know. So, I mean, Pinot Noir is always a challenge, and we're in a pretty cool part of 
part of the world and a cool part of New Zealand. So it's a challenge every year to get your Pinot sort of cropping at a good level and get it ripe and clean and into the winery, whereas Sauvignon Blanc is just, um, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it crops high. It, um, you know, you can pick it a little bit unripe if you have to of all the varieties out there because it does have a, you know, it's all about acid and sort of freshness. So you can actually bring it in a little bit unripe, if you like, and still make a really good wine out of it, whereas Pinot Noir is not so yeah. forgiving, obviously. No, and plus with Sauvignon Blanc, you don't want to do that much manipulation to it because the grapes themselves really make a great wine, no matter right, where it's yeah. where. You know, like, right. Remember, I first got into it from the Loire Valley. Yeah. And everybody there was, oh, Sancerre is great. No, the $12 one's just as good. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of that's the sort of the almost the uh, it's the bonus and the curse of Marlborough Sauvignon. You know, it's like it's pretty hard to get a bad one out there. Like we're all making pretty, pretty good wines at a, at a certain sort of level. You know, you can't really find terrible no. Marlborough Sauvignons. Well, the, like the taste of Marlborough wines are really, really good where they just pick from different areas. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with those wines. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. they're no, delicious. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's right. One thing that gets me when I was, when I was doing a review of a wine from Sauvignon, they, they always say, well, we grew the grapes here and stainless steel tanks, and then we bottled it, and they never ever talk about how they made it. Is there only... Is it that simple? Is it uh, just, they, one, just one way to make it? Yeah, because yeah. they never say a word about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there's a you know, people do finesse it, I suppose, but it's a pretty simple process, to be honest. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. I looked at the tasting notes for the Kano, and they said that they, they get they get the warm, you know, the warm must, and then they inoculate it and stuff. And it's like the first time I ever saw anybody actually yeah, tell gotcha. me a little bit about what they're doing. And I know I don't need to know that as a as a mm-hmm. wine drinker, but I do like to have something that I can go. Oh, that's why I like this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's and all. It, but it is a, a fairly simple. It is. I mean, it's machine harvested. It likes being machine harvested. So there's no hand picking going on. So it likes that skin contact, you know, when you run a machine over your vineyard and you break up your grapes and it's your skins in contact with the juice. So it gets a little bit of skin contact. Our stuff would have a couple of hours. It's, um, it's pressed. Like we don't do, well, me personally, I don't do any press cuts, if you know what I mean. So right. we just press it until it's dry. All those, um, harder sort of pressings at the end, which something like Chardonnay, mm-hmm. Riesling, you'd separate out, but with Sauvignon Blanc You're at all. You're not my first run and second uh, run No, not, not at all. In fact, there's a lot of sort of, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in those um, harder pressings that I we really always, need. I always wondered how the grape juice knew not to only give the first run the good stuff and the second <laughs> yeah. run not. You know, it's like, yeah. the grapes aren't that smart, are they? Yeah, well, we, we taste it. You know, when I make, um, you know, we do a method traditional as well, so those are really a very rigorous press cut, you know, as soon as it starts, oh, yeah. starts well, looking phenolic, you sort of well, plus that out. the people who are doing the uh, champagne-style wines, they kind of like the fancy parts, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you don't do the you fancy get, part, they're not going to fuss people. about Otherwise, you can't justify the cost, yeah. probably. Yeah. No, so <laughs> it has to have these details, even though it, you could probably make a great one without that. Yeah. But yeah. that's, yeah, so Sauvignon Blanc actually is that uh, if you know what you're doing, you can pretty much do it yeah, that's about the, uh, I mean, there's some really important parts to it, which is temperature control would be one. Yes. Like, like having excellent temperature control in your, I mean, it's all stainless steel fermented. So as long as you've got, you know, you can control your ferment temperatures. I'm not sure in Fahrenheit, but we'd be um, fermenting our juice at sort of 10 degrees Celsius in our big tanks, which is pretty cold. Oh, that's like that, does anyone that's know what that is? 10 degrees Celsius is what the temperature of the sun is, right? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right. We're in the southern hemisphere, so yeah. it's different down there. It's backwards. Yeah. It, it, the <laughs> toilets right. go around the other way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's all about sort of cool, cool fermentation and just locking in the um, 
you know, locking in all that fresh fruit flavors and just uh, it's very simple. I mean, I don't fine my wines at all. I don't use any of the sort of fining products and so things like that. So once you get the, the fruit, once you pick the right grapes and, and get this characteristic, that characteristic, then it's just a matter of yeah. getting it done and blending it to the proper yeah. part. The big bit you can really manipulate is with yeasts. And so you can use a whole lot of different yeasts, which will release different thiols, which is your sort of grapefruit and um, passion fruit sort of flavors. Or you can use more neutral yeast, which will just sort of show you the fruit flavor but really the most important thing is that day that you decide to pick the fruit really because you're sort of locked in your, your basic sort of flavor and your sugar levels and your sort of concentration it's that day that you can't change you yeah. can manipulate it a little bit with yeast and things like um, lees contact and stuff like that a little bit of it lees aging or lees stirring that sort of thing but otherwise it's you know you're, you're aiming to really bottle it fresh everything's bottled it's all out of the winery by like my winery now we're coming into harvest in about a month's time and my winery is dead empty now so it's all comes in gets finished, um, you know, fermented, finished, sorted out and bottled and out the door. I mean, it's a, it's a winemaker, it's a chief financial officer's dream, really. <laughs> you, yeah, you know, definitely. Within a year, you're, you're done and you're on to the next one. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And everything's being sold somewhere and you're making money and, and that's it, all, it. And it all gets sold. Yeah. I mean, which is one of that the, continues, but it seems to have so far for the last 20 years. Which is one of the funny things is that uh, Marble Sauvignon Blanc kind of, it's a French grape. Yeah, and they pretty much it isn't anymore. Yeah, it's a found New Zealand this place, didn't it? Yeah, yeah it really. And did. when and when other places make their wines, because uh, California is starting to get into it a little bit more, they're kind of following New Zealand's yeah, lead yeah. rather than going to the other way to yeah. France. We always get sent uh, pictures of labels, you know, from France or South Africa or something that have got like a kiwi on the front or something like that. You know, <laughs> and, they're talk- and they're talking about them being like Marlboro uh, wines and stuff. And oh, it's kind of flattering, but a kind of a cartoon kiwi terrible as well. What was the brand that had the uh, with the uh, the Australian brand that was horrible? Not well, I shouldn't say that. Oh, one of the mini critter brands. Yeah, the critters. You might be yellowtail. Yeah. Actually, it, it won this big award with their reserve wines in Chicago. All the Psalms drank it, and it it like it, it beat like some of the big expensive ones. Uh, yeah. But that's that's another story altogether. Yeah, got sucked in by all the sugar, probably. So, um. The, the winery is the first uh, Maori winery? Or? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So our sort of our owners were, well, they're the first Maori-owned winery. So if, you're, if your listeners are not sure who that is, that's like the indigenous people of New Zealand that were, um, well, they basically moved to New Zealand from sort of Tahiti and Hawaii around oh, yeah. about 800 years ago, sort of populated the country. And then the Europeans really didn't turn up until... I mean, we're the last country on the, well, the last landmass in the world to be sort of uh, populated by people, if you like. And the Europeans were only there for like the last sort of 300 years, something like that. So they sort of, you know, our, our owners have got a, a few different sort of business interests, but they'd always been growers and traders and stuff even before European times. So, so. they actually own their land they have all along? Mm-hmm. So they just. Uh, some of it, yeah, because well, like, like it, most indigenous people, there was a. You know, the crown, the British crown sort yeah, of took what they took, wanted. Took what they wanted. Yeah. In theory, set aside a little bit for sort of reserve land, but that's um that's actually sort of going through the courts at the moment. There's supposed to be ten percent of what the, what was sort of uh, agreed with the crown was set aside, but it was never done, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so they're sort of trying trying to get trying to get there now. Yeah, well, now it's yeah. now the land is worth so much money it's gonna be really tough. Yeah, it's, right. it's not even about uh, cultural imperialism anymore, it's yeah. about dollars yeah. or, or so, whatever. Yeah. So we've got vineyards on some of our what they call the tents land, the land that was actually set aside and it sort of stayed under our um, ownership or management for all that time. So that's something that's really proud for our 
for our owners. I mean, I've got 4,000 owners that own our company because they're all derived from these original families back in the sort of 1840s that sort of uh, oh. d- did the deal with the crown, if you like. And they've, so you could be a shareholder in the company if you're, but only by blood, if you like. So as, as the Excellent. generations go by, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So I've got 4,000 uh, owners looking over my shoulder most of the time, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't know how to make wine. No, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just tell them. Yeah, they just leave that bit to me mostly. Yeah. Yeah, before, um, before Marble New Zealand uh, Wines, I, I know uh, OMC, Ontario uh, Millionaires Club. Oh, yeah. Bizarre, okay. yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah, New Zealand. Yeah. And Jermaine from Flight of the Conquerors. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was Maori too. <laughs> yeah, he's nailed the New Zealand sense of humour, that's for sure. We were yeah. kind of surprised to see that was so successful over in, uh, especially in the US, you know, where sometimes irony and the whole sort of, that sort of particular Kiwi sense of humour, which is... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quirky. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, Australian uh, accents is just like the New Zealand accent, only evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I sound like an Australian at all, but yeah. uh, <laughs> some people yeah. think I, otherwise. Oh, the jokes. Yeah, uh, you sound like that when I squint my ears. You know, <laughs> I love that show. That's another story. <laughs> so here we go. So the... Uh, Tohu, always a hard one to pronounce. Uh, to- well, a lot of yeah. New Zealanders as well would say it tohu, but the tohu would be the sort of correct pronunciation, tohu. if you like. Yeah. Means, uh, yeah, it sort of means a signature or sign. So if you were to put your to- you to put your mark on something, would be to put your tohu on it. Oh, yeah, that's kind of what it means. And that little uh, that um, that sort of motif on the front label is a uh, is what they call a koru. So it sort of symbolises. Um, Sort of, a, it's a, I guess a, an, an idea of a palm frond sort of unfurling, you know. So it's all about sort of new life and growth and the sort of natural world and all that sort it of. It actually stuff. looks to me like an Egyptian uh, one of those things that, on the pyramids <laughs> or something, but, yeah, like an uh, eye or whatever. I'm it's not cool. sure you're right on that one, but no, go. no, I'm 100 wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then kuno is a uh, kuno is a Maori word which uh, means like a food basket. So it's sort of our, in, in a way, well, it's true. Kuno is our overarching um, food and beverage company, of which Tohu is the sort of the, the main wine brand, if you like. So kuno is a would would be a, a woven basket that um, Maori people are like very hospitable, and food is always a big part of. Um, entertaining guests or if anyone comes to see you you know you have to have food and all that sort of stuff so you would present your best produce in a, in a kunal which would be a, a woven basket so it might oh, have so some very welcome yeah some of your apples and you know so for us it would have our apples and it would have our you know we've got a beer company um hop federation and we do a bit of wine and stuff like that so i guess the idea would be that um some you know companies would take your your whole uh, range of produce if you like yeah one is in a clear bottle, the other one has a tinted bottle. Is there a reason for that, other than uh, just to differentiate? Yeah, not really. I, I guess the, um, you know, I think we were one of the original sort of Melbourne producers to come out in this sort of clear bottle. It's actually like you've got a bit of a blue tint to it. It's called Arctic Blue, so it's sort of... Oh, wait, oh yeah, actually, it Yeah, when, when it's empty. I was, I was thinking that When it we just get to the bottom a, of it, it you'll see it's blue. Green, <laughs> it does have a naturally green tint. Yeah. What we found is we, we've looked at putting it in a clear bottle, and it actually makes the wine look sort of terrible and a little bit you know, yellowy, which is not what you're after. Oh, no, your Marlborough the Sauvignon. is the last thing you're going <laughs> to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, plaid is always good. Yeah, we find a lot of Marlborough Sauvignons are in that color glass now, so, yeah. No, it makes sense because it does, it is reminiscent of what it will look like in the glass. Yeah. Away. It's going to be a lot more pale that yeah. way. there's no hiding from it, is there? It's a fresh wine and it's clean and sort of green and that's what it's all about. And that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But I guess the, uh, the Tohu is in just a bit more of a Grand Burgundy and a bit more of a traditional sort of um, premium sort of bottle and... 
those premium queues that the marketers go on about that I don't understand? No, me either. No. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think most people do. I no, mean, no, no. I think the label's what gets everybody. <laughs> I think it's the quality of the wine that gets everyone. The, not, not the first time. After you have it. You know, yeah, it's sure. just the, the quality wine is always there. If you don't drink it twice, it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the first time is like, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> so excellent. Yeah, cool. What other wines do you do? Do you make a Pinot Noir? Do you make a... Oh, we make a lot of wines, eh? We, I mean, we almost export exclusively Sauvignon Blanc around the world. And, you know, like, mo- like most yeah. Melbourne producers... I imagine that's what everybody's asking oh, for. It's, it's about 90% of what I make is Sauvignon Blanc. But if I... Do you ever get tired of making Sauvignon Blanc? Um, I mean, I don't drink or taste a lot of Sauvignon Blanc as a... You know, personally on the weekends, I suppose, because it's a little bit sort of more like work, I suppose, you know, like as a winemaker, of course, you like sort of Chardonnays and Cabernets and Pinot Noirs, I guess. But yeah, I had a winemaker tell me that it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. Yeah, that is totally true. That's one of my lines. Was that me that told you that? Yeah, yeah I drink a bit of beer. Yeah, because yeah. you can't drink at the wine all the time because after a while you lose your. Well, at the end of a hard day in vintage too, it's sort of the last thing you feel like you feel like a couple of beers and a piece of pizza, really. Yeah. yeah, but we make a we make a bunch of different wines. I do two methods. So I do a blanc de blanc, a vintage blanc de blanc, and I do a rosé. I do a couple of a couple of rieslings, like a um, like a Petritus riesling, a dry riesling, oh, so a few pinot gris, few chardonnays. Enjoying yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this, yeah. That, that, that is the way the wine world is. You make the wine that everybody wants, and then you you make some wines that. Well, you know, our interest to you yeah. that might go somewhere sometime. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it allows, you know, you could say it sort of pays, pays for all the small quirky little barrel fermented Chardonnays and, and, and the, the weird little bits right, and pieces. And the quirky yeah. wines are just as essential as the main ones. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the ones that we, you know, that sort of do well in wine shows and that the media and Somme sort of like, because they're the sort of the quirkier ones, but that's oh, sort yeah. of like the oh. Sauvignon Blanc is the big, uh, there's the big behemoth in the background that's sort of driving it all forward, really, which well, is pretty cool. We're, I mean, we're, it's amazingly lucky to have that in our, in, our company, well, in our country and in our company, really. A lot of sons are not going to push Sauvignon Blanc that much because it's popular. Yeah, you, don't need, only, you don't need to push it, really. <laughs> well, you don't, but it's, like, uh, it's uncool for them. They have to come up with some uh, yeah, wine from Italy yeah. that they make 300 cases of. You yeah, know? yeah. We that's, do like 50 bottles of Petnet every year for those sort of guys. <laughs> something, weird, something weird and weird and wonderful, you know. We well, do like, Petnet. A little bit of skin contact, um, some strange, you know, Pinot Gris, orange, more orange wines and quirky little things that we play around with. Trader Joe's actually had a pet at this fall. Did they? That's gone Which mainstream. I, I was shocked that's awesome. at that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, so there's, there's room for your crazy yeah. wines. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they do like a couple of hundred thousand cases of it or not. Maybe not. How me. much did, well, when, you, when they did their orders, did they sell that much wine or... Oh, what do what Trader you mean? Joe's, like, when you sell them wine, how much wine does get sold to a Trader Joe's? Um, oh, no. I know it's before your time, but... Do, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. The, the Cornell wine, and, and it is elsewhere, it's not just in Trader Joe's. I think some states it's exclusive in Trader Joe's, but in other places, well, no, I believe here yeah. in... in well, yeah. when I looked online, it was in a whole bunch of different wine yeah, shops, yeah. which usually tells you, if it's a Trader Joe's exclusive wine, no wine shops got it. Yeah, yeah. And your yeah. wine was available... A lot of places. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so for us, I mean, we're a sort of a, a medium-sized producer in New Zealand. You know, like the really big guys in New Zealand are the, are the big multinationals that you'd know, like Pernod Ricard and Constellation. These sort of guys, and they're operating at a, you know, to, I mean, I sort of think in tons because I'm a winemaker. So they, these guys are sort of crushing forty, fifty thousand ton, and I'm crushing about sort of three thousand, two and a half to three thousand tons. So we're sort of like a, you know, we're not tiny, but we're um, definitely not in that. 
giant league, and, and we probably don't have that ambition to be either. You know, we're sort of growing sustainably over the years. No, you're doing very well. I mean, we started yeah, out with yeah. like 500 cases, and we're doing you know 200,000 odd now. So it's just growing. You know, it grows at a few percent. We haven't really chased sort of um, massive and a bit of that's the, the Maori business that I work for they have believe it or not and I don't know if people believe me when I tell them this but they have a underlying sort of document called Tipai Tafiri which is a 500 year plan for their business and for their people and for the owners and stuff like that so there's like this so they're going to make a wine on Mars I don't know if I'm part of the 500 year plan <laughs> maybe just the 5 to 10 year one for me yeah. but yeah so there's like a really long vision you know and a part of that is sort of partnering up with people like Trader Joe's and our importers TBS in America and it's a part of those you know relationships is what they sort of run their business on which is pretty cool to be a part of really right. yeah, different almost quite different and, <laughs> and, and, you know, Trader Joe's I always thought was a smart because they do they buy, they buy up front. They pay up front too, right? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that part. I'm sort of like, you know. Because I know when, when you sell to a distributor, dollars. distributor pays you as it goes. Is that how that works? Um, you sell it to Trader Joe's through a distributor, I believe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that because I don't think it goes directly to Okay, so it's not like one of their grand reserve wines with they, their names on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's not like an imported through Trader Joe's. Okay, so it's a, that's just it's the... Part of the I think what we love about TJ's is that sort of loyalty, you know, like we've been with them for a long time and there's obviously yeah. a lot of other Marlborough Sauvignon Blancs knocking around, but, you know, we, we do well with them and, you know, I guess we look after them and they look after us and that's sort of like a yeah, you know, pretty amazing business model, really. And it's always nice to go to a grocery store and actually pick up a really good bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you don't have to go yeah. to a separate shop. Yeah, 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 cool. And it's easy because they have a smaller selection, so you, uh, I got four Sauvignon Blancs to pick from and I had that one and I like it. You know, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. It's been awesome for us. Yeah. Awesome. What's any new next plans for you? What's the, the winery? What's anything new? Happening? Well, we're going to be picking some grapes by the time I get home. Oh, I have so I, you're I, just I, on vacation yeah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a working vacation, really. But oh, I mean, yeah, I've you, get to, you get to travel through the cold uh, heartland. Uh, no, I've left the high to my summer. It's like a million degrees at home. My kids are swimming in the pool and the river every day. And um, I'm up here in Chicago where it's not quite a million degrees. And uh, no one swims in the river. Oh, really? Oh. You, you missed it. Another month, it, it, they die at green. Oh, do they? For St. Patrick's Day? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick's yeah. got a good video of that. Some kid on Dare jumped in there, and I think he had like over a million views of that thing? Yeah, two million. Yeah. <laughs> on someone jumping in the river for St. Patrick's Day. Oh, St. Patrick's Day is usually about when we start picking grapes at home. We might do a little bit of method a little bit earlier than that. And I see, I, I saw just yesterday my first... Um, my first data come through, so some, someone in the winery has gone out and sampled some grapes very optimistically. They're pretty early, and that's looking like it's probably about three weeks away for our Chardonnay that we'll pick for the Champagne style, and then really for the Sauvignon Blanc will all be sort of starting to pour in the door. How, how long mid, is triage for the uh, method? Uh, it sort of varies, really. Our, our Blanc de Blanc sitting on lees for about sort of three to four years at the moment. Whoa! Yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. So we, you're we, like, you're, you're out doing champagne. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're part of it. It's kind of a cool thing in Melbourne. There's a group called Method Melbourne that have sort of set the... Um, set some guidelines, I suppose, rather than, well, I guess, the rules, really, to belong to this group. And there's, like, all the sort of good um, method producers in Marlborough. So we've all signed up to sort of, you know, only using traditional varieties, um, bottling in Marlborough, ageing on lees, and, um, you know, all these sort of uh, kind of stricter rules than they use in Champagne, to be honest. But um, so it sort of sets those, sets the ground rules, and it means that you don't get um, sort of pushed by sales marketing if you like into releasing things too early so everything's getting a good amount of time on lease and they release sort of when they should be yeah 
it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's excellent because that's mm. way beyond the norm. Because yeah, uh, yeah, usually there's a, a bit of a rush. Sometimes, to, sometimes it's nine months. It's what's a year and a half in champagne. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yours must be really creamy and uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it gets a lot of those sort of yeasty autolysis kind of characters that yeah. I really like in a champagne. It's a cool part when you're the winemaker. Yeah. You can make wines that you want to drink yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, the longer it's in bottle for second fermentation, the, the more the bubbles get incorporated in the, in the wine, and the more the yeast kind of gives its thing going, and it gets creamy, and it gets delicious. Not that it was not delicious in the first place. Mm, yeah, at least it about the sort of more fruit so. flavors, more yeah. sort of development and sort of interest going on. Yeah. That's excellent. Mm. So you get to drink any of that while it's going, or just to see how it is? Well, uh, I mean, we try them all the time when they're sitting on these, but, you know, the base wine, you know what I mean by, like, the base wine. So, we, you know, you pick your grapes, but you're picking them really, for champagne, you're picking them really unripe. They're, like, terrible to taste, so there's loads yeah, of acid. They're so sour. No yeah. sugar, that, and, the, and the resulting wine is quite low alcohol, so it'd be, like, maybe 10% alcohol, still got a truckload of acid. They're, like, it's, like, the worst thing you can ever try and then you know you put it into the champagne bottle and you do the secondary ferment you leave it for a few years and then there's some amazing thing sort of comes out of this you know to be honest a pretty ugly beginning they're clean they're clean wines but they are just ferocious to drink just strip your teeth i've seen i've seen <laughs> a, a show where two people were taking turns daring themselves to drink it after the first after it was picked oh, yeah, yeah. and it was like you know it was like oh, man, you know, tough, sour patch kids yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was terrible yeah it's brutal on you your poor old teeth yeah. <laughs> well, this podcast is we, we started out with affordable New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and we ended up with very high end New Zealand bubbly. I guess there's more to New Zealand than we think, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it seems that way. Yep. That's excellent. Cool. Got any, anything else we should know? Um, no, just um, no. I'm happy this is my first time in Chicago, actually. So I'm sort of uh, been out for my little walk this morning and uh, looking forward to hanging around for the next few days. And yeah. Well, uh, Pequod's just got uh, rated the number one uh, pizzeria in the uh, in the in the United States, and that's over on Clybourne and Wrightwood. If you're looking for pizza, okay. it, it might be it might be loaded today because <laughs> okay. it won the award yesterday. All uh, right, should have gone the day before yesterday. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, so there you go. Well, that's, so that's it for me, Domain Dave from CheapWineFinder.com. Uh, keep it cheap, and we'll be talking to you. Thank you, thank you for listening. Adios, bye.